Hi, I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English Lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow Lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. Uh, so we are wrapping up our discussion on Stolen by Anne-Helene Lestadius. Uh, we discussed part one in our first episode. So if you haven't read the book or haven't listened to part one, go back and do so before you listen mm-hmm. to this episode. Um Do you want to let everybody know, Sadie, what we're going to be doing next? Yes. So it's been a hot minute since we have done um, another play. So I decided I was going to do a throwback to a book that a play that I read in high school that I really loved at the time. And I haven't reread it since. So we're going to do Cyrano de Bergerac by Edmond Rostand. And the specific translation, um, which is the most common one, I think it's honestly pretty hard to find a different translation, um, that I'm going to read anyway is by Brian Hooker. Um, it's a very famous translation. I'm really excited. I love Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, I loved this play when we did it in high school and then it's been redone a lot. So in our first episode covering the story, we're going to do the play itself, which is very short. Um, and then in our second episode, I thought it would be fun to talk about some adaptations of the story. So we're going to talk about Roxanne, um, with Steve Martin and then also the new Cyr- newer Cyrano musical movie with Peter Dinklage. Yes, I'm excited about this. It'll be fun. And we haven't done like a movie in a little while either. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. I, I don't think we've done one since The Hate You Give, I think was the last one we did. Yeah. Um, well, that'll be fun. Uh, and then, okay, before we get into our discussion, what are you drinking? It's in a nice, pretty mule mug, it looks like. I am having a, um, a mint julep. I love a mint julep is my favorite, favorite drink. It's so good. I am actually leaning towards a mint julep being one of our signature cocktails at our wedding. Yes, 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 yes. All the, and do we have crushed ice? Um, I will make sure we have crushed ice. Yeah, we got it. Like, I've got the bag and I've got the mallet. If we, okay. no, I'm just kidding. Like, I know okay. you won't do that. Um, <laughs> did 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 you make this or did Brian make it for you? Um, I mean, I was a really no, good. No judgment. I'm just wondering because I, I want to really, know it if Brian. it's really good. It I would love Brian. like good because that way next time I'm around Brian, he can make me one. That's the only reason I was asking. It's really good. It is a very good drink. I mean, it's hard to fuck up a a, a mint julep because it's pretty simple. But yes. as long as but you've still. got like the ice and you've got good bourbon, then you're pretty much good to go. Um, yeah. But I I love this drink and Brian did make it for me. He was really sweet. I asked him to make me like a different one. I Well, yeah, I asked him to make me like a sweeter drink because the last one he made me was way too tart. Brian like wants mm. all of his drinks to be super sour. Um, and I don't, it's not that I want my drinks to be really sweet. I just don't want no, them but, to make yeah. my lips pucker or something, you know? Yeah. So uh, there's nothing wrong with the sweet yeah, drink. Exactly. So I was you like, know, I mean, so I was, I, I told can, him, yeah. I was like, Brian, you gotta, you gotta make me a drink, but like, uh, can you do it a little sweeter this time? And he's like, Oh, like, 
how about I make you this instead because I don't want to have to make a, a new batch of simple syrup. And I said, A-okay with me. I will take a mint julep any day. We got the fresh mint. We are good to oh, go. It. it tastes delicious. It's very refreshing. How about yourself? Good. What are you drinking? So I made like a gin ricky. So mm-hmm. gin, some mint, lime, like soda. And then um, I threw in some strawberries just for shits and giggles. Nice. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it's good. I had plans for some other drinks, um, but then I just couldn't decide. And then I I was going to make something very Swedish, but I waited too long to do something about it. And I couldn't find any linden berries and I didn't want to go all the way out to Ikea to get linden berries. Yeah, that's (laughs) fair. (laughs) That's uh, fair. Yeah. But, um, Oh, and it's like, it's just been so nice. We had nice weather Mm -hmm. over the weekend, particularly yesterday and today was just glorious. And so even though like this book is just like cold, I I wanted to just embrace the fact that I'm like, it's warm and sunny here and I'm feeling that kind of mood. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I was pretty close to making basically like a mold cider or mold wine. Um, because everything I looked up for Swedish drinks was like a grog, which was like a a special kind of mold wine. It was like different spices or something or different berries and and different things to flavor it. But, um, I decided, no, I don't want a hot drink right now. I want something nice and cool and refreshing because we too have been having fantastic weather here in the Berkshires. It's going to be up to like the late seventies. This week, it's going to be so nice. I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for us. It's been a it's been a long, hard winter. Oh my gosh! Especially in Utah, not for me. I can't say that it's been cold, but like it hasn't been the the level of winter that you guys have had. Yeah, it's been really rough here. Um, But yeah, speaking of winter, um, so let's get into part two. So again, part one wasn't, I mean, it's really only like the first quarter of the book, but it just made the most sense thematically to kind of split it up. Um, so part two starts 10, 10 years later. Um, mm-hmm. and instead of it opening, you know, the first chapter for part one opens with Elsa, right. And her observing this horrible crime that's been committed against her, her family, her reindeer. Yeah. And the first chapter of part two opens with Robert, who is the individual who committed the crime. And um, we kind of learn more about Robert in part two, kind of his his background. And I liked that it didn't it didn't feel heavy handed in like like, oh, poor Robert trying to get you to see like he's like not a good like he's still he's still like a shitty guy. You just kind of understand more of like why he's a shitty guy. If you know what it felt like, it really felt even though this is a a, this takes place in the Arctic Circle up in like in Sweden, this felt like it could be transplanted anywhere in the United States because of the specific stuff that he has to say, like it's, it felt very like MAGA and very like rural America. Like the state has forgotten about me. And therefore when I see any community get what I deem a special treatment, Mm -hmm. like I'm upset. And it, and it is in some ways because like rural communities and, um, like 
all rural communities are underserved in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that he's not a victim of certain things like that. It's just that it's, you see so clearly that like he's blaming the wrong people and he's, he's trying to like find somebody to be better than and take yeah. his frustrations out on, which is a all too common thing that communities do and people do all the time. Um, yep. But he's still very clearly the villain. It's just it's just kind of like you get in his brain and and where you'll find ways to sympathize with him in some ways, you still see that like he's just not a good person. Especially with the way and the like the very graphic detail of some of the abuse that he does towards these animals and like yeah. the pleasure, the true like inherent true pleasure that he gets from it. Um was honestly like pretty hard for me to read. Like I like, I can't, I feel like I can handle violence and I feel like I can especially handle violence between humans generally, but it was really hard for me to like read about what was happening to the animals. Well, and I think especially because, uh, the author really sets up for you. If you, if maybe, maybe if you weren't a person who already felt that way, because I think we're both similar, like, yeah, I mean, I still will not watch animal movies. Like, I I just won't. Um, Yeah. But she sets it up so well that you really understand, like, the meaning of the reindeer and how it's really a part of this community and this culture and, and also just how important these creatures are. And, you know, she really, like, you you really get a sense of of them and appreciate them. And so it makes the violence committed against them even more affecting because she does such a, like you see that it's not just this horrible violence against this animal, but it's also this horrible violence against these people. It's almost like this misdirected, like he is still committing crimes against the Sami people, but rather than committing violence against the people, he's like transferring that rage and committing it against these animals in just this brutal really awful way and it's so it's like even more affecting because it's like you just like he just has so much rage and you're right like where you can kind of transplant who this person is in all these different cultures and we've seen that all over right and it's so disheartening to like read about because it's all just so senseless like yeah it's senseless and I, mm, like at the same time, it's human. Like it's just such a common tale, like where yeah. we see this come up again and again and again. And, you know, we see it a lot right now, you know, like I think that, um, especially in like more rural areas and stuff, you just, you do see a lot of, of this and a lot of like, it's pointed even sometimes just at like the cities, right? Like the city gets all the resources and there's a lot of resentment about that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that's valid. Like, like it's, I mean, but in the, but the they're not really getting that many more resources per capita. Right. But like, there's this image of these people taking all these resources and, um, 
So you have to find somebody to blame and somebody to be better than like that was one of this is like something that I remember talking about a lot in history classes when we were talking about like the Civil War and the the conversation and debates around slavery that were happening at the time amongst different states and different communities and how it was actually like pretty rare in the South for somebody to own slaves because you had to be a really wealthy landowner to do that. And but then, you know, even yet, even still, all of these poor white people supported slavery, even though they didn't have any, like, direct benefit to it. They didn't have slaves of their own, right? Like, yeah. they didn't have a stake yeah. in the game necessarily. But a lot of it was because there had to be somebody lower, lower than, than them yeah. on the totem yeah. pole. And I... Th- I like that was kind of the feeling that I got from this character where he had so much resentment and so much, like you said, rage built up that he had to just hate something and someone. And in that case, it's the Sami people. And, um, it's pretty clear that that's like a, a normal thing in, these regions for them to be discriminated against and to like have this kind of um, resentment and attitude from other people in the country. And it's, it's really sad to read about, but it's, yeah, like it's disheartening, but it's also kind of like, uh, like, I don't know. It's just exhausting. It's just, this is just a, a normal thing that we do, I guess. I don't know. People are fucked up. I know. (laughs) it's true and I think I think that the author does a really good job I think you can really tell like kind of the her journalistic background yeah and that I think she really does a good job of presenting like all of the different elements to this story right so there's and maybe they're not all given the same like like for lack of a better word percentage of like time but I mean, she talks, yeah. you learn about Robert and what's going on with him and the whys of him and his background and his friend, like, I always want to say Petrie, but the, you know, the other guy who gets yeah. involved with him on like the book. Yeah. It's Petrie. Right. Yeah. And so you get a little bit of like that outlook where he doesn't have the same kind of rage, but it's almost like this, um, where he's going to take advantage of the situation. And then you get, you know, the background of basically like the church of Sweden and kind of the monstrosities they imposed like, and all the repression they imposed against the the Sami people. Which again, copy and paste, copy and paste to Utah. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And how that still has an effect on not just the culture, but like specific people like Elsa's grandmother. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, also the current, like Swedish government. And I think, I don't, I think maybe we brought this up last time, but um, I think Sweden and kind of countries in that region are almost looked at in as more of an egalitarian society. Yes. But it's not right. And um, this is evidence of that. It's not, I mean, you can it's argue in that different, it's, it's better in different than or less ways. Than, it's in yes, different ways. Exactly. You know, they don't have to and worry about healthcare, but they still have other issues. Right. And, you know, like even the fact that this novel is out and there's going to be a movie about it, like that there's they're becoming more Sami artists and authors. And like, I think um, she just brings in all these elements to the story. And also and maybe this is something, you know, you really can relate to. But 
from just the things that you've had to do in your job, but this kind of mm-hmm. idea of like almost how these battles get pitted against each other with the police and yes. the victims and uh, the defendants and the media. Like I think yeah. she did a good job of bringing in the media and, and Elsa's kind of attitude of like, well, are you going to cover this? And I don't want you to take a photo of me, but then like just, you know, I love the discussions. So at one point Elsa comes across, you know, these remains of the reindeer that have been t- murdered and tortured. And she again, gets no help on it. No one's going to come out. No one's going to look at it. No one's going to take any evidence that is available for them so that they can, you know, prosecute the crime. And so she puts the remains at the police station and, you know, has a reporter there to take photos. Like she didn't orchestrate that, but she utilizes it. And, and, and in some ways is then, uh, what's the word that creates some discord amongst her community. Yes. Because it's you're riling things up. So like she really, I think the author does a great job of just showing how complicated this situation is for this particular story. But you know, you like we said, you can transplant that and put that in so many other similar situations and just how hard it makes it. Well, it's and like just it how there's like there's so no there's no simple solution. Like mm-hmm. there's you know, Robert blaming the Sami people isn't gonna solve any of his problems. And you know, like they don't, it's, it's kind of like, it's out of their control how any of anything they do affects him. Right. But he, he Mm -hmm. makes up these things in his head that explain to him why they're so bad. But then I think she does a good job too of, of like when Elsa and others, you know, kind of confront law enforcement more, um, it, there are discussions that are had and the stuff that they're saying is not a lie. Like they're not lying about the fact that they can only charge these things as theft. They're not lying about the fact that they only have X amount of officers for how many hundreds of miles. Like those are all very real things. And those are all very really like truly difficult decisions that people in these positions are have to made as to make as far as like how they prioritize certain things and their limitations. And yeah, like they're going to put a, domestic homicide over like theft of what they view as cattle. Right. Like, and it's not okay and it Mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. It needs to be talked about, but I think it is important, especially in this story and how things shake out that like, it's not that it's about ill will necessarily, or like about these individuals who are trying to respond to this stuff. It's just that the whole system in general has been built to make it difficult for anybody to take any action. Yeah. That's such a good point. Like, and I think because it, it gets you to look globally and like, look at the Mm -hmm. big picture, which is really hard to do because I think we're all inclined to kind of maybe look at more of the details and look at it personally and how, like, and I think this novel's great about really laying out all the different pieces Mm -hmm. while still making it about a specific person and a specific family and giving you characters that you can really connect with um, and that are flawed, but like even, you know, like Elsa and her cousin and her parents and her mm-hmm. brother, like, I think she really does a good job of, of inter like of placing these 
well-developed characters within this broader picture. Like Mm -hmm. this could have easily been, and while just as interesting, uh, like a journalistic nonfiction story about this, because these events are taken right from, from real things. Like she collected all of these like police reports. It's like this, this could have really easily been that and would have just been as, you know, would be just as interesting. I would want to read that, but I think she really gives it this nice humanistic like element by having it be about these specific people and having the story and giving you kind of this heroine in Elsa. Um, There's also like a spiritual element to it too, that like you can only get in a, in a book like this or like a fictional take on it because um so one of the things that we learn about Elsa is she's an adult and this is kind of hinted at in the first part that we read last time where she is talking about her grandfather and how they nobody really talks about it but that he has like a gift and that he can heal people and it's a part of their culture and it, there's like a name for it. I, it starts with a G. I would butcher it even if I tried to say it, but I think it's like Gunstart or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, so they talk about how Elsa has basically inherited this gift and she's just not ready to really fully accept it or to be able to really talk about it at all. But a, like a really big part of kind of her development and what's keeping her going and like it really genuinely impacts her choices is this spiritual connection that she still feels with um, her reindeer and like with the reindeer that died in part one um, mm-hmm. as well as Lassie um, or Lass. Like she still, she sees him. Like she, and she feels him and he, he doesn't talk to her in a narrative way in the book, but she refers to instances, especially at the end where he does kind of talk to her and communicate with her. And, um, I feel like that is something that you can really only get out of a book like this because, hearing a person in real life say something like that, I'm not necessarily going to like believe them. But when I read about it in a story like this, I believe it like with every fiber of my being that this is what that person experienced and that it's true. Yeah, I I agree. And I think she did a good job of like setting up who Elsa is and Mm -hmm. it, it puts it as a belief, like it's believable in part also because of Elsa and like what a good job she's done, I think with the characters and, and, you know, portraying Elsa as someone who's, I think she's someone that's, I find relatable, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and so that you're right. Like it, it does have, it's more affecting. She does a really good job with that. I really like Elsa and I like how you said, um, like how she is a relatable character in mm-hmm. the challenges that she has to face, but also the way that she kind of like symbolizes this, like, it's almost like she's like all the good parts of her community, but then she's denied access to like yeah. aspects of her community and stuff. I, I like, I found that really compelling and, and also like how frustrating, you know, like, like I said, like she has this gift that is like a known gift in her community and that people will 
do recognize her as someone that they can go to for this, um, that she's special, that she has like these powers and she's clearly very skilled with the reindeer and yeah, she's smart and she's able to do all of the things like she knows and is so like her life is so deeply built around this community and being Sami and it's a huge part of her. And yet like, even though she represents all of these good things, she's still denied access and feels like she'll never really be one of them, that she'll never be able to be a part of the herders in the way that Matias and her dad are able to. Um, She has to endure like people joking about it and like, teasing her or jokes about how riding a snowmobile will make you infertile and like mm-hmm. women shouldn't do that. Like all of these things that aren't funny and just are things that she should not have to be dealing with, especially because she is like the prime example of like an outstanding member of the community. And she's also an outspoken member of the community and she, she puts herself at risk yeah. Her safety at risk. Um, and, um, and emotionally she puts yeah. herself at risk. I mean, like, I think the idea of isolation is big in this, right? We talked mm-hmm. about that last time too, like location alone, but then also just like, you know, this idea of, of not feeling a part of something living in this kind of world of what part com- of the community am I am and being mm-hmm. outcast, like all that. And even Elsa, who has a family, who is a part of this community, who, but she, she experiences that isolation, right? And that feeling like, what part, like, what world do I really belong in? Mm -hmm. And, and like almost this sense of her wanting to have belonging, but not willing to settle to get it. Like, Mm -hmm. like I love the scenes where she's, I think it's, she's with her cousin, right? And they're, in like the main town and there's like a festival going on Mm -hmm. and they're wearing their clothes and like they get people that want to like touch them and take pictures with them like these tourists and her cousin is kind of more like like it's fine like I just want to find some pretty earrings like I don't really care and Elsa's more like I don't like I cannot even deal with this like she has to escape the building and go be outside and like away from all of this and and so it's like her unwillingness to to settle and just deal with it is mm-hmm. part of what makes her life so hard, but also makes her such a, I think a great character because right. she's really trying to forge this path. Like you, you were bringing up so nicely about how it's this whole system, right? That's the problem. And she's, she sees that and she's really trying to forge a path out of this current system. Yeah. And that's like a, I feel like that's a lonely position to be in. Right. And I think stories that center around people who are doing that are always really compelling. Like it's those heroes that it's not mm-hmm. just that they're fighting for the right cause, but it's like they're fighting against not just one enemy, Robert. Mm-hmm. Like it would, it would be less of a compelling story if like it was just Robert's the bad guy. Right. right. Like, but it's like a whole system that's, that's who she's fighting against. And so it makes her, it just makes for a really compelling story. And I think the way I've talked about, you can tell her journalistic background, but maybe that's where part of that 
writing for young adult comes in. Cause I think that's what grabs you as a young adult is finding a character that like is kind of that hero. That's like fighting against the world in some way. Yeah. Right. Cause that's how yeah. you can feel when you're young, right. like your problems are insurmountable and no one understands you and you're fighting the whole world and there's one bully, but then it's the whole system that's protecting the bully. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and like, she, you see that as a kid, you see her talk about that. Like she, she's becomes like a substitute teacher sort of is how I would describe it Yeah, at these schools. And she's trying to protect like her, her family and the other kids. And she's like, it's just, it's hard to not, um, have it be kind of this hopeless story. Mm-hmm. But I think Elsa's such a strong, great character that she gives you hope. Yeah, she did. She, she did give me hope. Like it never felt, um, pessimistic necessarily, even though like it was pretty grim, like it's pretty grim in a lot of places, but like the fact that she, like, I think it's just like the care that she has for her community. And like, that's such a huge part of what carries her through things. I also loved, um, that scene I just want to go back to that scene where she is getting kind of fawned on by these tourists like tourists um about her outfit and it really made me think about the way that a lot of nations but like I see this happen in the United States as well um the way that we are both proud of like our indigenous cultures that Mm -hmm. exist here Mm -hmm. And yet we subjugate them. And like, it's like this kind of false, um, idolization. Like everybody wants to say that their grandmother was a Cherokee princess and everybody likes the imagery, right. Of like native American life or what have you, like they just, there's this reverence and attachment to it. And yet the very much still alive and still around communities, are routinely treated like garbage, you know, and like, yep, not given the services that they need. And it reminded me, um, to like, I was looking up, um, as we were reading this book about the, the singing of the Sami people, it's called like, I'm going to butcher it's joking, yoking. I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced. Um, but I was looking it up and one of the first things that came up was the 1994 Olympics, um, opening ceremony, which I think it it was Norway or Sweden, but the the Sami people are like all over the Scandinavian area. Um, but I can't remember if it was Norway or Sweden, but they, the Sami people like did the opening ceremony and they had this singing and they had the reindeer and they had, um, this, their indigenous culture and proudly put right. on display at this huge world event. Like they were so proud of it, but that's 1994. Yeah. And then we see how they're being treated in this book, which is 2008, 2018, 2019, like yep. this, this kind of false pride in an image of something, um, but not actually being proud enough of this history or this culture to support it or give it the resources, um, to survive and like, or the respect that it deserves. Um, and and that kind of like false, false admiration or like, 
I don't know how else to explain it other than just this kind of very limited superficial pride and appreciation for a culture. Yes. That doesn't it's, it's, actually show it's, full yeah. appreciation for the culture. It's like a, um, it's just, it's being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think that I liked those, I liked that that scene was in there. And I think, um, she does a good job of kind of highlighting that in other areas throughout the novel, but then it really hits home with that scene. And, and, and I think it's by that point that that comes up, you get why, like it's, there's no way that you can look at Elsa as like anything like you feel for her. You get it. Yeah. Especially Versus cause she's like, still, Ugh. especially cause she's still keeping in so much stuff. So like at this point she still hasn't told anybody, um, that she saw Robert Isaacson. Like, like she's going through all of this work and putting herself right. in all these uncomfortable situations and unsafe situations because he threatens her life. He comes to her house and threatens her um, when she's home again, alone and isolated from other people. Um, you know, she gets awful text messages from strangers calling her a whore. And she's... And it, like, and it's affecting the whole community, right? So she's also getting pushback from her community, like we talked about, because mm-hmm. now, like, you know, you know, at least they were being somewhat left alone before, and now it's now it's worse. Now that you've identified yeah. the problem, now people are pushing back and making it even worse. And so she right. has the weight of all that, but she's still bearing the weight of the fact that she saw something years, ten years ago, right? And she yeah. still hasn't told anybody. And also I think in some way, like the kind of guilt of carrying that with you this whole time and like that maybe this wouldn't be an issue if she'd said something. Right. I mean, especially with, you know, who knows what it could have prevented with like her cousin, with Mm -hmm. her brother, with her parents, and then with the large, like the larger community. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, that's an impossible weight to put on oneself. And especially for like a nine-year-old, like what nine-year-old is, could possibly think about anything like that. Right. But like, it's, it's, which brings the, it's all these, this weight of the hypotheticals. Yes. But how, like how much pressure we do place on our children. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean like our individually, but like our children as children of this world. Yeah. To carry the weight of of this we put so much pressure on them and like forsake them mm-hmm. and it's i think that she does a really good job of of highlighting how that's done in this situation yeah should we talk about the um ending the ending and especially yeah. like the the issue with mental health so like one of the the things that we learn is, is she's older we see that matias who in part 1 was um, you know, like a younger teenage boy and he was pretty, um, angry and he kind of acted out, but he seemed pretty like vibrant, right. As a character still, like he was like outspoken. He's always seemed kind of just like, like kind of like a loud mouth, but like still nice. Right. But like he got into trouble. He was a little, I don't, I don't know. He was just a teenage boy, I guess. But, um, you find out like, after last dies that, um, 
as he's grown older, he's really quiet. He's really reserved. He hasn't left the community at all. Um, and he moves into their grandmother's house. Yes. She has been moved into like a, a home, basically a home for the elderly. Yeah. And yeah. so he's, he's there at the house alone. He, um, does the hurting and everything, but he's just like quiet and he kind of seems almost like a, a different version of the Matias that we saw before. And he's just a little bit more even isolated from his family, even though he's present, like it's just, you don't even hear from him as much as a character. Yeah. Um, and it becomes really clear as we get, um, like a couple of chapters from his perspective that he's extremely depressed and he has a suicide plan and he's going to kill himself. And, um, so Elsa goes into the woods and she brings her gun because she doesn't feel safe being in the forest and in the woods alone anymore uh, because of all the obvious reasons. And she comes across, and this is all happening simultaneously as Matthias is basically going to execute his, his plan. Um, she finds... Robert Isaacson, who is turned over on his four wheeler, he's crushed under his four wheeler. And he, as we've seen, like he has a lot of health problems and he's a drunk. So he's drunk all the time. Um, and his dog who is wounded is with him and will like has a limp, like it's just an old dog. And she comes across him and this is like this opportunity for her to exact revenge. And, it's like this moment where she really has to make a choice about like who she is and what she's going to do and, and, um, who she's going to be in this moment. Right. And I loved this scene because he's crushed, he's kind of helpless, but he's, you know, begging for her to help and her anger, you know, like is so palpable in the scene yeah. and she has every reason to be angry. And when I was reading it, you know, a part of me is obviously like, no, like, don't do it. Don't be worse than him. Like you're better than him. Right. Like don't do it. Right. But at the same time, it's like totally, I, I get it, girl. I get it. And like, well, and before this, he tried to break into, yes, he, threatened her, he broke her. into the house and was going to kill her. Yes. And, yeah. And abuses her and also talks about how if he finds her again alone, he will kill her. Like, we hear that right. from his perspective in his own head. Like, he is yeah. a violent, awful person and he would absolutely yeah. do this to her if the situation was reversed. Um, but she, you know, she does threaten him. She questions him. She asks him to confess. She puts a gun, her rifle, to his head. She also threatens his dog, um, which I... That scene made me like feel really sick and sad because, you know, I love a doggo, like a doggo who doesn't know who its owner is, is just trying to be a good dog. And, um, so the dog is, you know, like trying to protect Robert, it's his owner. And, um, but she, you know, she makes a good point of like, what if I killed your dog? Like how would that feel? I think she knows that that's, that's the only like he obviously doesn't care for his own life very much because of how yeah. he, he is, behaves. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's obvious that he does care somewhat about that dog. 
And so it's mm-hmm. like, that's, that's his only like weak, weak spot, so to say. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a great analogy too, for her to, to kind of give of like, this isn't cattle. This isn't livestock. These are, mm-hmm. we're connected to these creatures in the very similar way that you're connected to your dog. And, um, but I mean, he's still nasty to her and he's still pretty awful. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, so there, there's this cliffhanger. I think it was a really well done cliffhanger where she's like, she turns around and she knows exactly what she's going to do. And, you know, this is her land. And then it's like cut scene and we go back to Matias and Matias is going to go. And he also goes to like the woods, but he's kind of hanging out by this river um, and there's like the, an island. So I guess maybe it's a lake. I can't remember. But it seems like it was rushing water. So maybe yeah. I imagined it I, weird. I don't know. No, I thought it was a river too. And it was just like a parcel of the land that wasn't underwater. Okay. All right. Um, so he goes and his, his, you find out that like his, I guess his method is going to be using these like old gators that are going to basically pull him underwater. Yeah, that's and what will drown him. He hears a gunshot in the distance, and again, like we don't know right now what she decided to do, right? So we we know that he hears a gunshot. We put two and two together that that's what's happening, and then the dog comes and he throws the dog, <laughs> like and I like when I heard that, I was like, I thought he was going to drown the dog, and I was yeah. like really freaking out. <laughs> I was like, No, don't drown the dog. No. <laughs> It's just a dog. Um, but he throws the dog into like the, um, the island section. So like it can't like get through the water. It's kind of stuck there. And then Robert Isaacson somehow shows up. Right. And he's super pissed off. He wants to just get his dog. And so he puts on these gators and, um, Matias tells him not to, but he does anyway. And Matias knowing that they are, you know, faulty, gators yeah watches him put them on get in the water and then watches as he's kind of carried off in the water and he does try to rescue him um but to no avail and then you find out that elsa left him underneath the she just abandoned him she took his phone and she ran away after shooting a, a her gun in the air um so is your interpretation of how he gets out of the four wheeler Am I correct in that it's supposed to be Lass? Like that somehow like the spirit of Lass rescued Robert Isaacson so that he would go die in the water? Um, I mean, I kind of, I, I feel like a little bit, I, I feel like it was almost like how I interpreted it is like he got out himself physically. Like, okay. you know, it's not like a ghost came and helped him, but I do think there was a little bit of this like, uh, writing of the balance of the universe in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, you know, and not like the spirit of last necessarily, but like what last represented, like that's how everything had to happen. It couldn't be that Elsa killed him. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he, he was the author of his own demise. Yes. But Elsa and Matthias were a part of it. Yeah. Not in causing it, but in just a part of what happened because they almost deserved that in a way, not in a bad way, but I mean like they needed that away as like a retribution for like, like Robert was like kind of this representation, right. Of, 
of all of what they're going through as a community and what um, uh, their cousin. Lass. The one who died. Yeah, like what Lass, like why he died, you know? And so it was almost like a a writing of like the karmic world kind of. Yeah. So that's kind of how I interpret it. So same, like similar thing, but less of like a more like true spirit and more of just like a writing of, of the world. And like, yeah, it kind of felt like closure in a way. Yeah. Like, and like Mm -hmm. that this was something that not necessarily that like lasts as a spirit, like orchestrated necessarily, but it seems like it, like, I don't know. Last was kind of like, I got the feeling of him and his presence in the, this second and third part of the book that he's kind of like this guardian angel in a way like that. His presence is just so representation. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like as a guardian angel, like he's really, he's really, I feel like this, uh, cornerstone for Elsa in, in like not giving up, and in wanting there to be change because she doesn't want what happened with Lass to continue. Yeah. Well, and, and but then, you know, also like she's going to go kill him and then she says that she saw him and that he stopped her. Like that, like yeah. that Lass kind of like, even though his st- story was fatal and tragic and sad, like he still represents... I think like the goodness of what they are and who she is as well. And so like, I liked this idea that he kind of kept her from being, um, or succumbing to kind of that hatred and that, that anger, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because I think that there is always a risk of succumbing to it and becoming too close related to like the person you're hating like the vic- like the actual villain you know of the story um yeah. and I like that he is able to like stop her in that moment because it, it does feel like it's a really real thing but I also I was under the impression that like because of the way everybody talked about how stuck he was like Elsa couldn't really believe that he got out and then like yeah. When when law enforcement is looking into it later and they're kind of investigating it as um, both an accidental drowning, but also as a suspicious death because he's wearing the gaiters that have like the family's um, number and address in them. Um, they're also quite puzzled by like how yeah. that happened. And I like that the question's not really answered. And so it's, it's kind of like up to you, the reader in a lot of ways of like, okay, like if maybe if you're a spiritual person reading this, maybe your impulse is to think that like last freed mm-hmm. him only for him to again, put himself in a situation where he's going to die, you know? Yeah. Um, and it also kind that's of, a good point. and it also kind of like, I think if you're a spiritual person and that's the way you read it as well, like you could also interpret that as last, like genuinely kind of like helping make Elsa less culpable in the situation. Right. Because if, if she did just leave him and he died there, like then she would be culpable 
in that. Um, but if he is able to get up and leave and then like goes and makes another mistake, that's not Elsa's fault. And I, I kind of liked that idea that he's like there to protect her in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. But I also liked the ambiguity of it and that like, maybe he also did just crawl and dig his way out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I like that. it. I like when there's enough left open for personal interpretation, but it's not so vague. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, I really liked this novel. I, I liked it more. It's also mm-hmm. been one of the ones that as we've talked about it more, I've liked it more too. Yeah, me too. It's just brought up more. Yeah. So, which is always nice. Like on its surface, it's kind of a nice, easy, straightforward story. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely interesting. Definitely like, you know, not a culture that we've talked about before, but then the more like you've talked, like we talk about it, it, it just uh, has been a more enjoyable book and I'm glad that we read it. Yeah, I am too. I, and I'm I really, excited for the movie to come out. I know. I'm excited to see how they do it. And um, yeah, I'm just interested to see even like who's making it. Like I hope that they, did we talk about this last time that the this author is going to be like, she's like a main producer on it or she's like the yeah. writer or something? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, she's. I think she's a producer. So I think it'll be really good. Speaking of, um, did you hear that Hamna is going to, be a film adaptation no yeah and chloe zhao is going to be the director um so that could be really really cool (gasps) i am she's like an oscar winning writer yeah yeah and also uh so the book of goose it just won the 20 2023 penn faulkner award so like we sure know how to pick them we sure enough (laughs) do don't we but yeah, won't that be cool about Hamnet? I think that'll be really good. Oh my gosh. I love Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Like that's going to be so good. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to like see who they cast. Like I love casting calls. I like, I love the idea like who they're, who's going to be. And yes, like that's going to be so good. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. I know. <sighs> you know, if I ever had a job that had anything to do with um, like the filmmaking, I would either want to be like a casting agent or set designer set designer for sure i love Mm -hmm. the idea of like curating like a character's bedroom right Right. like like what are they gonna have what books are gonna be on their shelf like i love that kind of stuff like and it's i mean that's the stuff that like makes the movie in so many ways like it it makes it feel like real and it's just fun i also love watching um like yeah prop designs and like watching how they make all Mm -hmm. these fake things on set like that's just fun for me too like I love how ice is just like jelly in movies like it's never real ice like and I like that's just a weird that's just a weird thing like the magic of movie making and and set design and prop design and stuff is just so fun yeah I agree it is really cool all righty well I, I mean, there's we could probably keep talking about this book forever, I but I feel like we covered quite a bit. And I hope if you guys didn't read it, we've encouraged you to go read it. Um, I thought it was really great and definitely an interesting like community to read about. And one that I think I said when we started, I wish I had already known more about. So yeah. here's like, go read about it. Really good. Very good. Uh, good Remind everyone again, please. Thank you. What our next 
two episodes will be about. Yes. So they can get ready. So our next episode is going to be a plague. It's Cyrano de Bergerac by Edmond Rostand. Um, and the translation um, into English that I am reading is by Brian Hooker. It is the most common translation. So I think if you pick this up from your local bookstore, that's probably what you're going to find either way. Um, and then because it's a very short play, um, we are going to do for our second episode a discussion on some of the adaptations that have been done of this story. So one of the movies that we'll be watching and discussing is Roxanne. It's with Steve Martin. It is a classic 90s comedy. I'm sure many of you have already watched it. And then there's also the most recent um, adaptation of it that I know of anyway, and it's Cyrano. Um, and that one is with Peter Dinklage and it's a musical. So I'm really excited. I actually have not watched that one. I love Roxanne with Steve Martin, but I have not watched Cyrano with Peter Dinklage. So I'm excited to see, um, how that's done. And if you don't know exactly what Cyrano is about, it is, um, a kind of like comedy dramedy, um, I guess, but it's really funny. Um, where Cyrano de Bergerac is this fast-talking, extremely talented, um, but especially a beautiful talker, um, man in French society in like the 1600s, and but he's very ugly. So he has, and I put ugly in quotations, but he has like a, a comically large nose, like I'm talking like six inches off the face. Um, and he falls in love with this woman, Roxanne. And then there's this other character and he kind of like, it's the classic, he speaks for this man. He's the language, the words, he comes up with all of these words that woo the work with the girl. Um, and it's just a really lovely and, and super funny also, um, story. So I'm excited to reread it. I haven't read the play for, um, a number of years, so I'm excited to revisit yeah, it. It's- It's been a long time for me too. So yeah, I'm excited. Should be fun. So get your copy and uh, watch the movies and Mm -hmm. it should be a really fun discussion. Yes. All right. Thanks everybody. Bye. Bye.